0: This episode of History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast, is brought to you by River City Segs, the premier Segway tour company in Richmond, the only Segway tour company in Virginia with an indoor Segway-specific training area. Find out more information or book your tour at RiverCitySegs.com. They are on Facebook, on uh, Instagram, River City Segs as well. You can find them on Twitter at 804 Segs. You'll find out about uh, seasonal tours there, like the Ghosts and Grizzly Stories tour that's coming on, and the. Uh, discounts and whatnot that we may be offering. And, you know, don't forget about Christmas light tours coming up. And absolutely, don't forget, always practice safe segs. This is History Replays today, the Richmond History Podcast. My name is Jeff Major. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Uh, this will be a special baseball episode. Um, if you're not a baseball fan, don't shriek away. Go immediately to that stop button. Don't do it. Um, you, you, this is Richmond History. You shouldn't really need to be a baseball fan. I don't, you know, we don't get too deep into the into the uh, uh, into the woods here. Um, but I'm going to talk to John O'Connor, who's a staff writer at the Richmond Times-Dispatch. He's been writing about sports at the Times-Dispatch since 1986 and, you know, writing about sports in Richmond for, you know, other publications before that. But it just seems like the, it's got to be the most contentious issue in Richmond right now is, uh, what do we do with the diamond? You know, do we renovate? Do we build in the bottom? Do we build in Romeo Mayo Island? Do we, you know, whatever, um we're not going to answer any of those questions of, you know, what, what we should do here. Uh, if you want to tell me what you should do, you can uh, tweet your answer, tweet your, your solution to me, uh, at history replays, um, post it on my Facebook page, history replays today, or, um, you know, let me know. I'm on Twitter as well. Um, you can also post right there at the bottom of uh, your comments at the bottom of, uh, uh, history replays org. Um, Before we check out John O'Connor, though, we are going to listen to a conversation with Betty Dementi. Um, Very short. She's going to actually tell two stories, one at the beginning, one at the end of uh, the the conversation with John Um, O'Connor. She is the retired owner of Dementi Studios, uh, and she was the guest on the last episode. And if you heard the last episode, then never fear. These stories are not in there. Uh, These were plucked out of that. Previous conversation, and if you have not heard the Betty Deminty episode, as soon as this one's over, go listen to that one. The uh, in fact, actually, go back, start with Harry Kolatz. That's the the first episode, and you know, listen to them all. Uh, but but even before we get to Betty Deminty, I'm going to hear a couple stories from Guy Kinman. Uh, now, Guy Kinman is an LGBT activist in Richmond, and I have plans of doing a full episode about that, um, about him and his top, his uh, impact on Richmond and the LGBT community. Um, But I got to do some more work on that for now. We just get these two stories. Um, The first one is, you know, he's actually living in Maryland, so it's not technically a Richmond story. Um, But he's a Richmonder now. I like the story. It's quick. Um, But if you're not a baseball fan, I am going to explain who two people are. Um, the subject of the first story guy coming will tell is a guy named Walter Johnson. Um, just to put him into perspective, you got to, you know he played for the Washington Senators from 1907 to 1927. Uh, he he pitched 110 shutouts, uh, which is the most in history. Um, 117 games he won 417 games. Great Scott! I mean that's second only to, to Cy Young, uh, and he was uh, elected to the Hall of Fame in 1936. Now, the the second story that he'll tell is about a guy named Al Downing. Um, when Al Downing played for the Richmond Virginians, which I go back and forth as to whether or not the Richmond Virginians is the greatest name ever for a sporting franchise or one of the silliest um, and least creative. I don't know. Right now I'm saying it's the greatest. Um, ask me tomorrow. I might say it just sort of sounds silly. Um, But you may not even have heard of the Richmond Virginians. So there was a team called the Baltimore Orioles uh, who were in Baltimore. And then in 1903, they actually moved to New York, changed their name to the Highlanders. And then eventually they'll change their name to the the Yankees. And the Yankees will end up starting a minor league team in Baltimore. And what do you call the team in Baltimore? The Orioles. Uh, So then 1954, the Baltimore Orioles will move to Richmond. And they changed their name to the Richmond Virginians, uh, the Orioles that we know today that you know still play in the major leagues. Um, they were before they were the Orioles were actually the St. Louis Browns, um, and they moved to Baltimore in 1954. And then we'll change their name to the Orioles, and the rest is history. And you know you'll have to check out a uh, a Baltimore history podcast to uh, um, get more information on that. But anyways, back to Al Downing he played for the Richmond Virginians from 1954 to 1956. And I mean, he was this out of this world prospect. Uh, folks called him the black Sandy Koufax. Um, and unfortunately he'll never, never really lived up to the expectations. Um, but he does become the first black starting pitcher for the Yankees. Um, he'll go on to play for the Oakland athletics, the, uh, the Brewers, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, I mean, he he pitched from 1963 um, to 1977, um, you know, more than a decade, um, almost a decade and a half, in fact. But he will be best known today for one pitch that he threw on April 8th of 1974. Al Downing, you know, wearing the numbers 44, uh, threw a ball to a guy, you know, with also wearing the number 44, uh, and that fella Hank Aaron will drive that ball. Uh, over the left center field at uh, Atlanta Fulton Field where the uh, the Braves played at the time. And that'll be Hank Aaron's 115th home run, which broke Babe Ruth's most hallowed record. You know, the most home runs in history. Um, which, Betty Dementi will actually tell a fantastic story uh, about Babe Ruth in Richmond when Babe Ruth played here. Um, but, uh, but that's later. So let's go ahead and listen to Guy Kinman.
1: What's your baseball team? Oh, it, it's the Flying Squirrels. Okay. I was at the Flying Squirrels yesterday. Yeah. In town. And do, you, uh, uh, do you?
0: keep I, up I, with the uh, major no, leagues, or?
1: Uh, no, uh, not roughly. But uh, as a boy, I watched the Washington Senators play. Okay. And I had fun in with some of the Senators when they came to uh, my boy scout troop in 1934. Wow. And where where were you living there? I'm I was living in Bethesda, Maryland, a suburb of Washington. Okay, yeah, yeah. Wow, and uh, gosh, and that must
0: have been, um, you know, in the thirties, twenties, and thirties. Nineteen thirty-four. Nineteen thirty-four. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'm trying to think who would have been on the Senators at that time. I mean, yeah. Been, so
1: you're a little interested in baseball? Yeah, I'm
0: a huge you're Cubs fan. There.
1: Oh, that's I'm, good. Unfortunately. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm uh, right, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll tell you who they are. Uh, uh, I, you, you wouldn't remember them, but Walter Johnson was the big yeah. train, right? Wonderful. And I went to high school with two of his sons. Okay, cool. And I once asked Walter Johnson to be my scoutmaster. Nice. And another guy, we we went out to see Walter Johnson, the great.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Fantastic. But, yeah, I I go back a long way. Uh, in Loving Baseball.
0: That's great. Yeah. Because the,
1: uh, and I guess, uh, you so you probably used to go to Parker Field, right? Oh, yes, I did. And in Parker Field, uh, I, uh, the Parker Field, uh, I used to go to Parker Field. Uh, and what was that like? I mean, because I've heard it was wooden, from what I understand, the, the, the stands used to shake and stuff like that. Uh, you see, if you like baseball, you don't remember things like, well, maybe <sighs> you do, but no, no, I'll tell you something funny about Parker Field. Uh, the old, Richmond Braves, um, they would uh, open the door t- to anyone who came in after the seventh inning on any game. Right. They stopped selling tickets and they had a, a small fence, I believe, that came down. Yeah. So people that worked like I did would jump in the car and run over from their home or apartment at the eighth inning and see the end of any game mm-hmm. for free.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I used to have a, um, a studio in Scott's Edition. And in? I'd been painting over there, and I did the same thing. And I would actually listen to it on the radio.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think it was actually, once once they were leaving, I think it was the fifth inning. I can't remember it now, but um, I would listen to it on the radio while I was painting. And as soon as it got close to that next inning, I'd clean up and head in the car. It was, you know, four blocks away, so I'd just head right over there and watch, you know. I have a great story for you Okay. Al, Al Downing was a pitcher with us,
1: he, uh-huh. put, he was black he went on to the New York Yankees and yeah. he w- had a good career uh-huh. I had a date, a young woman from Reynolds Metals and we went to the game uh, in 1961 uh, okay. and Al Downing was paid pitching and it was a no hit no run game, but it was stopped in the seventh or eighth inning by rain and it looked like the game would not be continued and so we gave up we went to the old clover room an ice cream place on on Broad Street and after the ice cream we got back in my car, turned on the radio and the game had been renewed since the rain had stopped right. and it was still no hit no run so we ran in my car back to Parker Field yeah. and went up in the stands and saw the end of the game. So my friend and I saw Al Downing pitch the historic no-hit-no-run game after it had been split. That's awesome.
0: True. That's, that is definitely awesome. I wish I could have seen that. And for those of you that are not big baseball fans, that may have been a little bit inside baseball, but um, you know, the rest of it not so much. Um, Betty Dementi, I'm going to talk to her next. And she, this is from the beginning of our conversation. That was the the last episode uh, where we just started out chatting uh, about some different photos that were on the wall there at Dementi Studios. And it's one, just some, just some folks standing in the street, looking at a scoreboard, uh, watching baseball that way. And, you know, she she started telling me about it. Um, Again, this is not in the last episode. So go check it out after you hear this and, Let's listen to Betty DeMinty tell me some stuff about old baseball. I'm actually a huge baseball fan, so I love that
2: that picture there. They they told you about that?
0: No, no, I just. Uh, Well, I think it's
2: 1926, World Series. Okay. Oh, uh, radios were not something that everybody had at the time. Oh, and so, but the news leader did have a radio, mm-hmm. and they received the uh, broadcast from Ebbets Field in New York, yeah. and they rebroadcast it, and you see the bullhorns on the, on the side there, Sure. Uh, and all these Richlanders came to listen to the World Series. Now, if you notice, they're almost all men. I think maybe there are one or two women in sure. They all have hats on, they all have coats on. And uh, jackets on, and 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 so on, uh, and uh, Babe Ruth and Stan Musial and a few other people you know are were playing. And sure. The names, the names were listed up there, and they that that cartoon there. Sure. Followed, right. They followed uh, the. Uh, uh, Mr. Domenic made this picture this way. Then he turned around and made one the other way. Uh, with all these gentlemen, this, uh, on the other way you see. Uh, a lesser crowd uh, and a car is parked on the side, and two young ladies uh, posing in most suggestive pose on the hood of one of the cars. fantastic. Delightful. And
0: do you know where that is?
2: Oh, it's Fourth and, and Grace.
0: Fourth and Grace? Mm-hmm. Fantastic.
2: Well, between it's, Grace and, and Franklin. Sure, right, right. And if you go down there, you see that the lanterns on the side of the building are still there.
0: Okay. Uh, and she's right. It, it, a lot of stuff is still there. And if you want to match it up yourself, you can um, check the photo out. I'm going to post a link at historyreplacetoday.org. I'll also post it on my Facebook page, History Replace Today. I'll post that link on uh, Tumblr and uh, History Replace today and on Twitter at History Replace and always let me know what you think about this uh, on those places but um, we're going to go ahead and check out uh, uh, John O'Connor again he's a staff writer at uh, the Richmond Times Dispatch and if you want to follow him he's on Twitter as well uh, at RTD for Richmond Times Dispatch RTD John O'Connor and um Started out talking about Parker Field, which came before the diamond. I've heard some pretty fantastic things about Parker Field, which, especially, I to remember the uh, apparently the the bleachers moved. So people were telling me that you could feel the.
3: Oh, it was it was a, a wooden structure. So if in fact there were enough people stomping or jumping up and down, oh, no question, yeah, they would, they would move a little bit. It was a very, very old structure, and, uh, you know, the press box was a sort of a tin box behind home plate, suspended from the overhang. Just wasn't much luxury going on there. Right. It was a very retro place, and needed to be replaced in the worst way, and, and that's why, you know, the Atlanta Braves sort of gave us an ultimatum, us being Richmond saying either replace this uh, ballpark or we're getting out of town. And that was in the mid-80s and eventually uh, the Braves told Richmond if it's not done by next season we're not coming back. Hence the quick construction of the diamond. Right. It was built in one off season and uh, we're sort of paying for that now in, in the quality of construction. But that's why the the diamond was built so quickly is because we didn't really have a choice if we wanted to keep the team
0: and was there a difference in the i guess the local political environment or like would that they could get it done and it seems like you know at least we couldn't get it done to <coughs> keep the brace here now
3: the easy answer is yes back then there were captains of industry bobby ucrop dick hollander people like this who really had no dog in the fight, but they were interested in cooperation among the counties and the city. And those two fellows in particular spearheaded the effort to get uh, the counties, Chesterfield and Enrico, and the city to pitch in. Uh, I believe they combined to pitch in four million, and then uh, a private uh, search was conducted to raise the other four and the diamond cost 8 million. So yeah, there was a different sort of cooperative spirit going on then that is absent right now.
0: Huh. And I mean I mean that seems like a I mean, that's not that long ago, but it's still is like not that much money to build a 8 I million.
3: See. It seemed a lot back then. Um but if you wanted to build one now, you'd start at 50 million and probably right. be talking more like 60 or 65.
0: Sure. And, and the diamond is built right on the same field, right? It's it is. Just, it's just it's the, the only difference is the structure that goes around it. The field
3: remained. The same field that was played on uh, during the 84 season was the same field that was used in the 85 season. Sure. So it was just the structure. They, they tore down the uh, Parker Field the day after the final game in 1984 began tearing it down. and. Uh, as we said, the, the diamond was up by the middle of April in 85.
0: And was there fanfare or, I mean, were people happy to see it go? or People were happy to see it go.
3: There, there wasn't as much um, sense of nostalgia back then. We, we were very interested in something new and different because Parker Field had been there for so long and it was in disrepair and it was probably the worst park in the International League. So people were very interested in seeing something new and different and When the Diamond was built, it was the the best minor league ballpark in the nation. It was. No question about it. It it was built very much uh, in the mode of maybe how the old parks were in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, big concrete monsters. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Diamond is on the minor league level. And it was viewed as a very, very up-to-date, modern, um, wonderful minor league park.
0: Huh. Which... uh just seems straight to it just looks like an overpass
3: it things changed tremendously in regard to attitudes about ballparks with camden yards in baltimore which was early 90s mid 90s maybe Mm -hmm. i mean at that point people were looking for more of a throwback appearance and a comfortable look Uh, when the diamond was built that wasn't under consideration
0: sure and the I mean, I'm assuming that that the diamond as well comes in with the, the amenities because I guess like looking at pictures, um, which was actually funny. I was looking at them last night about of Parker Field with the, the concessions, mm-hmm. um, and it, it looked like it was just like a trailer. It was I think it was called like Richmond Concessions or something That's like exactly that. Exactly right. It That's was exactly right. Not um, even a name of any.
3: It was a bare bones operation. Uh, the diamond had luxury suites. That was something new and different for Richmond. It had a fountain as you walked up those steps. That was something new and different.
0: It, is, it had a there's restaurant. Not, there's not a fountain now, is there?
3: It's a funny story about that fountain. Okay.
0: <laughs>
3: as you, uh, part of the compromise in the naming of the diamond, so many people wanted to call it Parker Field or recognize Dr. Parker, for whom the Parker Field was named, a, a local doctor who did great things for the Richmond area. So, rather than name the entire facility the diamond, the people who uh, were in charge determined that there would be a large fountain as you walked up the steps and that would be dedicated to Dr. Parker. Nice touch. Yeah. There was a problem though. Because of the way the diamond sits and and the way the fountain was elevated on those steps, whenever the wind blew a little bit, it blew a lot in that area. And if you were walking past the fountain, you got soaked. <laughs> it was one of several flaws with the diamond. So, uh, and ultimately they also had problem with people throwing things in the fountain and dipping their hands in and splashing on people. Uh, sure
0: beer plus water seems like a bad idea.
3: <laughs> the fountain was uh, eventually eliminated and it is now covered and that is the place where the Richmond Flying Squirrels have their bands play pre-game. Ah, it's the bandstand now. Yeah. It used to be a fountain. Wow. That was a fountain.
0: With, uh, I mean, decorated or just, I mean, it was like an ornate fountain? It was. Or? It okay. was
3: ornate. Um, and as I said, it spewed water sh- straight up when it was not windy, but because it was elevated and there was a s- sort of a, a tunnel, Uh, going out to the field. Sure. uh, Whenever that wind blew, people got soaked. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, brings me to another flaw. If you walk up the steps at the diamond and past what was the fountain and what is now the bandstand, uh, there are blue coverings uh, that prevent you from really looking out at the field. Um, When the diamond was designed, the idea was to come up those steps and see the field and that would be your first glimpse of this gorgeous green field. Well, again, that was good, but not very uh, good planning because the first night of the first game, we discovered that the sun set right down behind the boulevard. And as the catcher threw the ball back to the pitcher, he'd have to shield himself trying to see where the ball was. Right. So immediately they had to hang curtains there. Of that first year and eventually they just built partitions there that uh, sort of eliminated that grand view you were supposed to get
0: sure wow and the I mean I guess because that's that kind of makes me think of um, uh, the the Tide Stadium um, I can't Harbor think Harbor Park Harbor Park right um, so it's got that you know and that's, that's like the soon. new what's hot now right, right? where it has that's where exactly as soon as what, you come up the stairs right, you're exactly you can see right. the whole thing um, exactly and and it has that same Camden yards brick, you know, which I'm sure there's concrete underneath of there I'm assuming it sure just, looks nice there yeah, they just drop some brick concrete. on it and it feels nice yeah the i mean I mean at that point, attendance i'm assuming goes up, people are going to just see the, the uh, park or
3: much 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 better than Parker field, though uh rarely sold out because at that time there were twelve thousand one hundred and thirty four seats. Right, which is huge for Mm -hmm. even AAA. You know, a minor league ballpark.
0: And from what I've heard, that they actually put one seat more than the next largest stadium, so that they could say that it was the largest. I don't know if that's true. That's true. I haven't heard. Okay. (laughs) That
3: one I don't know about. I never heard that one. But it was. It was huge. And anybody who goes to the Diamond now appreciates that the franchise that moved in there put advertising banners over some of the top rows right. making the capacity around 9500 so they were they were smart enough to appreciate that you know you increase demand for tickets when you increase capacity yeah and so they sell out on a fairly regular basis maybe four or five times a year now whereas the Richmond Braves would sell out twice a year and that would be on fireworks nights right around July 4th
0: right and it's it really does seem like one of the best things that they could have done. Um, and I actually good. thought the same thing when the Braves were there because people would go and you'd have a, couple, a few thousand people, but they were so spread out right. that people would say, oh, this yeah. is, this place stinks. Like, right. nobody likes this. But, right. you know, cramming everybody together, you know, that, that crowd mentality where you think, oh, this is packed. Everyone yeah. loves this. That's this correct. is like um, – I guess humans aren't really that complicated no, <laughs> really when you get into no. it.
3: They're doing the same thing at the University of Richmond, their basketball arena. They're doing the same thing at uh, – RIR. Okay. So everybody's sort of downsizing.
0: Sure, gets a little bit more in- intimate.
3: I think VCU taught everybody a lesson, you know, and how to do things, and you, know, you could sell more tickets, sure, but it's it's not quite as lively.
0: Right. Um. And the, I mean, was the field? Because I know there's a lot of drainage problems with the field now. I mean, Parker Field had the same problems, I assume.
3: We have been through all sorts of issues with that field because it it was built uh, on who knows what. It's not as if it were professionally excavated uh, originally. It had been baseball's been played on that field or something under that field for decades and decades and decades now. So the drainage has never been good And, and I think it was 2003, 2004 the Richmond Braves lost Maybe 10 or 11 dates uh, because of wet grounds, which is unheard of. You know, usually you lose one or two. Mm-hmm. They even lost playoff games, home playoff games. They couldn't play because when it rained, water just sat in the outfield. Right. So they've they've uh, they have renovated the field several times now. And but I, from what I can gather, what's under it, way under it, uh, prevents optimum drainage.
0: Sure. And, and I guess that, is that an issue with trying to build a new stadium? I mean, because it seems like they'd have to...
3: Any new stadium that would be built, my understanding is any any new stadium that we, would be built on the boulevard would be built in another part of the boulevard. Ah, uh-huh, okay. For two reasons. One, we just discussed, you, you got to get away from that field that you've redone ten times now. And two, is management and the Eastern League is highly interested in continued play, meaning you're not going to be able to build the stadium in a year. Right. So you're going to have to play at the Diamond while you're building here so you don't miss a year. There have been instances where teams have moved for a year and just played all their games on the road. They don't want to do that. Right. So they want to build in an area not where they're playing.
2: Sure.
0: Um, And, I mean, because they've had some – there has been some pretty spectacular folks that have rolled through there. I mean, oh, my. I mean, because I like looking at since you've been at the Times Dispatch. I mean, Chipper Jones. I mean, that's
3: right. Well, it starts way before that. If you if you talk about back in the '40s and '50s and '60s, when typically when big league teams came north from spring training in Florida, they would play exhibitions along the way, uh, probably to pick up some money and increase their fan base and everything else. Wait, they weren't making.
0: You know, hundred right, million dollars right. a year back That's
3: exactly then. So, right. so uh, Mickey Mantle and the Yankees would stop at, at Richmond and play a game. Um, there have been countless. Uh, big who who would they play? Like other, uh, they would either play the local team, or they would play another big league team also on the way up.
0: Holy smokes!
3: So you'd have uh, you know Jackie Robinson played here. Uh, we've got pictures, in fact, around the newsroom of those kind of games. And then when the Richmond Braves came, we were a little bit, uh, let's say, star shy there for a few years Um, when the Braves were bad, 60s, early 70s, you know, you had a few guys come through, Felix Mion, you know, but the Braves weren't so great, so we didn't get many great players on the way up. When the Braves got good, Chipper Jones, Ryan Klesko, John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, uh, Javier Lopez—you mm-hmm. know, you you name all those guys who were very instrumental in the brave success, you know, through the '90s and the 2000s, and all of them, just about all of them played
0: here. Right, and I'm actually a big Cubs fan, so. I had uh, Jason Marquis in there as well. He played here. And yeah. the interesting
3: part of it was, you know, in the late '90s, not only did the International League teams play the International League teams, the International League teams played the American Association teams. American Association being sort of the Midwest Triple A league. So we got the Cubs Triple A team here. Oh, we wow. got um, St. Louis Cardinals Triple A team here, and, and the Braves went there. So it was an interesting mix of players. You saw some great players,
0: right? And and it's a strange thing at the uh, at this level because it's you know even players that are stars here, you know it's so hard to tell if they're going to become, you know those Russian. Americans you know icons or whatever. No doubt about it. And you look back
3: at some of the numbers here. John Smoltz uh, didn't tear it up here. David Justice didn't tear it up here, um, but they sure did when they got to the big
0: league. Sure. And could you? I mean. Covering these guys, I mean, did you get to know these guys at yeah, all? I mean you know,
3: back then we were very fortunate in that we covered all home and road games. Okay. So you'd travel with them. You know, you'd fly with them. You'd take get, take the bus with them. You'd wait for buses at the hotels with them to take you to the park. It was a great life. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah,
0: and it seems like a really, especially in this day and age, the uh, you know with you know Smoltz and Glavin and um, all you know uh, even Chipper Jones. I mean, they're, they they. You know, it's always hard to tell, really, but they just seem like, you know, they don't get arrested. You know, they no, they just seem like.
3: I think by and large, all those fellows were good people. Like very great people to go
0: guy. have a beer with. I mean, that just seems. A lot of them
3: weren't old enough when they got here. You know, right. Chipper Jones wasn't. He was only twenty when he was here. Um, Smoltz may have been twenty-one, but yeah, I, I, all the experiences I had with those guys were very cordial, and they were good folks.
0: Yeah, because I actually watched. Last night I was going on YouTube and there was a promotional video with Chipper Jones when he first got here. And they were just saying, like, you know, hi, my name's Chipper and, like, right. you know, how he got his nickname and stuff. like. And I was just, like, looking at him like, you are a baby. Yeah, and remember back then, kid. you know, this
3: is pre-internet and pre-500 million media outlets. You know, there was very little pressure on them in terms of uh, off-field activity they were required to do and media obligations, etc. You know, it was just me or a fellow from the Richmond News Leader who was with them on a regular basis.
0: Right. And I mean, I obviously don't want to, you know, where the Flying Squirrels stay right now, but I mean, where were these guys, like, where did Chipper Jones live? I mean, was he living downtown or was he... No,
3: back then they'd live, um, Harbor Point, which is an uh, apartment townhouse complex off Broad Street in the West End. They'd all stay in the same apartment complex. Okay. Um, you know, maybe two or three guys per townhouse, depending on how much money you had. Right. Some guys had money, some guys didn't based on the signing bonus. You know, that's right. how you make your money in minor leagues. So, two or three guys to a townhouse and, you know, they go everywhere together. And now, I think the Flying Squirrels give their players some options. If you're interested in living in the fan, um, there's possibilities there. Or townhouses in the suburbs, there's possibilities there. You know, or. Chaco Bottom, you know wherever you want to be, they give you options.
0: Sure, um, I mean, and I guess, uh, did you go back as far as Dale Murphy?
3: He was Someone. a little bit ahead of me. He was okay. early '80s. Okay. Yeah, but he was he was a great star, obviously, who did play here prior to that big push by the Atlanta Braves.
0: Absolutely, and then they, um, and he just seems like he's another. He just seems. To me, that was when I was growing up. Like He was even on the Braves and stuff, and it just seems like larger than life, just ridiculous that he...
3: Evidently, one of the nicest guys ever, too. Absolutely.
0: uh, Because I also remember, did did the Braves actually come here and play? Because, like I said, I grew up in Chesapeake, so I can remember going to see the Mets play the Tides.
3: You've got a good memory. The Braves came here, Atlanta Braves came here annually, probably for about at least 10 years. You know, I can remember Bob Horner playing out there and Dale Murphy and those fellows. I um, it was an exhibition to sort of reward the minor league city for supporting the, the team. Um, that got old fast, though, because as major leaguers made more money and, and it wasn't such a big deal to um, be obligated to your team and They'd come in and, you know, the outfielders would pitch and the pitchers would play outfield, and they treated it pretty much like a circus. Right. And after a while, it just kind of lost its appeal.
0: Sure. Um, well, yeah, I, mean, I guess those made, my major leaguers coming down, it kind of uh, brings them swell. I. It seems like a shame for children growing up in Richmond that some of those guys didn't get arrested more because I can remember, I can remember <laughs> being excited when I heard, you know, Dwight Gooden or Daryl Strawberry, you know, got arrested and be like, oh, they're going to be playing at the time. And just watching Dwight Gooden just mofools, just, you know, triple-A guys just, right. you know, it was just incredible, you know. And they weren't hurt or anything. They just had to, you know, rehab or, uh, I mean, I can remember Daryl Strawberry. I mean, it just was like, it looked like he was just, you know, taking a nap up there and then the ball would just explode. So.
3: Yeah, incredible talent.
0: Um. But the, because uh, there was also I guess with Chipper in them there was I guess the the Great Eight, great right? eight. and they had even had uh, um, uh, Gary uh, Grady Little I almost called him Gary for everything. Grady
3: was the manager. They had uh, Javier Lopez catching, Ryan Klesko at first, Ramon Caraballo at second, Chipper Jones played short, um, Jose Oliva played third. Melvin Nieves played left, Mike Kelly played center, and uh, Tony Tarasco played right, and you know, scouts recognized that team as a prospect at every position. You know, a guy who was projected to be a big leaguer, and all of them made it to the big leagues for varying varying time. Some were bigger than others, obviously, and. Uh, obviously, Chipper was the was the big one when he was here, and he turned out to have the greatest career. Sure, and that was uh, yeah, that was Grady Little, and you know you can imagine how anxious that group was trying to get to the big leagues. And Grady's common line to those guys was, you know, as long as your heads are in Atlanta, you know, your butts will be here with me. Right. So he wanted to keep them focused on what they were doing on a daily basis rather than thinking about the next step which all of them eventually made
0: sure but and i guess they had it was like one of the best records they've had it from what i understand and then they, they were good now they were, out in the playoffs they,
3: they they were probably you know five or seven games over 500 is my recollection and the pitching wasn't so great and and oftentimes at the triple a level if you have guys coming back down from the big leagues veteran guys i mean they're gonna pound the ball and they're gonna be on a good club and it may not reflect the number of prospects on the team. Richmond had the most prospects by far that year, but they were all young guys just getting used to the league. So they didn't win championship running. Right. And I I think if you look back now, the team that crushed them on a regular basis, Charlotte, with Charlie Emanuel as the manager, had uh, Jim Tomey at first and uh, uh, the outfielder, who oh Manny Ramirez oh wow was the right fielder, so those two guys were sort of the anchors of that team, and then they had a bunch of older guys, and they just they they beat the tar out of Richmond that year. I remember that
0: right, and so I mean that's like kind of I, I was com- constantly thinking about this last night the uh, you know great off of you know Manny being Manny of just strange mm-hmm. things that happened. It was different and, back then. Too. And then if and if you got like. All these young guys, like you said, with no media. I mean, I mean, they must have just gotten up to, you know, you know, I don't know. Pie in the face is funny in baseball, but I mean, I can only imagine, you know, what kind of antics, you know.
3: Well, they're um, the most famous uh, problem they had was one day during a Richmond Braves game with that Grade Eight team. It was an afternoon game, it must have been Sunday, and there was a fight in the dugout. Chipper Jones and uh, I believe it was Melvin Nievis got into a fight right in the middle of the game in the dugout. And after the game, we were wondering what the heck was going on. One of them had parked in the other spot, <laughs> and, and that started the fight. And it just sort of illustrated the youth of these guys and the immaturity. Sure. Um, but there was still great talent there, obviously, too.
0: Right. And I guess, is that competition that much more intense just because they, I mean, they have to get. Yeah, they're not there, right? Yeah,
3: but they were all big names. And they knew they were going there, and you know they were so anxious to get out of here. I'll just never forget that. Um, you know, they, they were tight and ready to go. You know, they, they didn't want to be in Richmond; they wanted to be in Atlanta.
0: Right. Um, and I guess because that's, you know, the this is a completely crazy thing, but I think as there, do you ever remember? Because especially with the Redskins right now, they keep talking about how the the name is racist mm-hmm. and. Um, which is ironic because the Braves when they were in Atlanta were called the crackers, right, which just seems like holy smokes, yeah that 's a- incredibly racist, yeah, um yeah, and I know I can remember something about the chop people were talking about the chop was racist or something like i mean was that ever an yeah, issue with the braves i
3: don 't ever recall that coming up in Richmond no
0: okay, yeah, because i don't even remember seeing the chop that much with that
3: no, it didn 't really uh it came through here for a while, but by no means to the extent that it caught on in Atlanta.
0: Right, right. Um, the uh, so, and I guess that the the Richmond Braves as a you know when they leave, I mean, I could say that was like all kinds of acrimony. I mean, what was I didn't go to the, the last game or anything. I mean, was there what was that atmosphere like?
3: Um – my sense is we were embarrassed as a community because it was not we didn't view it as the Braves' fault as much as our community's fault for not replacing an inferior stadium, that it sure. aged very quickly. We had been warned many times um, by the Atlanta Braves, who owned that AAA franchise and the International League, that it was a substandard stadium, it was breaking down fast, and we needed to do something. And we had gotten that word probably, you know, probably ten years after, fifteen years after the Diamond had opened. And progressively, it deteriorated and deteriorated, and we really didn't do much about it. And we talked about building a stadium downtown, and we talked about renovating the Diamond, and we never did any of that. And mm-hmm. so eventually, Atlanta found another place for its team, Triple A team.
0: Right. I mean, but the because I think they won the last game. Well, that I don't remember. (laughs) I mean, was there, but at the last game, was there any kind of, I mean, appreciation?
3: Yeah, sure there was. That whole season was an appreciation because Atlanta announced in January of 2008 that it was going to relocate that franchise. So the team played a whole nother season here. Right. Knowing that it wasn't going to be here. The fans knew that. Sure. Attendance was bad. And there was a lot of apathy in terms of any sort of support for the franchise, just because everybody knew it was leaving, yeah, but there was more anger I think at politicians and authorities in the area that could have had something to do with building a new stadium or at least having a firm plan for a stadium i think that 's what Atlanta objected to most is that that all through the you know the, the process of them having a desire for a new stadium. Richmond didn't even come up with a firm plan. Right. It's not like they wanted one tomorrow, but they just wanted to see progress towards something. Sure.
0: We didn't demonstrate anything. Still haven't. No, still haven't. Still haven't, unfortunately. Nope. Um, and, and when the... Was there a contest to name the diamond? I heard that about um, that as well.
3: The story goes that uh, an anonymous letter um, with sort of a poetic... Expression about the diamond and a ballpark um, suggested the diamond.
0: Huh. Wonder who that was. I, now I want to know, right? That's the author was never identified. Sure. Was it was it in the mayor's handwriting or? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> And um, that uh, the the Connecticut the the Bray was pretty amazing up there, right? I mean, that was like it was a
3: nice touch. Yeah. And that was there for several years. Because um, there was an the o- opening day, it was there, right?
0: I, mean, from what I don't know that, that it...
3: I don't, I don't think it was there until a few years after the Diamond opened. Okay. And then uh, when the squirrels came in, there, there was a sense that they didn't want to have any sort of connection with the brave, so sure. you know, it was relocated.
0: Didn't really make any sense, I guess, other yeah. than... Other than the fact
3: that the team that was coming in was from Connecticut, <laughs>
0: oh, they were. I didn't even. Yeah. I did not realize that. How about they that? They were the
3: Connecticut Defenders huh. in 2009, and became the Richmond Flying Squirrels for 2010.
0: And where the, where did that name come from? I, mean, I didn't even realize we had squirrels flying. I mean, I knew we had squirrels, but not flying ones.
3: Well, we don't really. There are some flying squirrels, I think, in the western part of the state, as I understand it. But the whole idea was to come up with a nickname that was very marketable. Um, appealing to children. Um, You could come up with a mascot. You could come up with merchandising plans around it. So while many people in this area wanted Virginians or something a little bit more traditional, uh, the operators of the club gave those no thought at all. They were always thinking about something that was going to help the marketing plan.
0: Right, because I think there was a Virginians that played there correct. right the Yankees correct. farm team at one time
3: before the Richmond Braves
0: and and was that the Richmond Virginians because that the seems Richmond Virginians that seems like seems almost too easy that's
3: what it was yeah the
0: uh, and, and so that's I guess but that goes back that's kind of why you're saying like Mickey Mantle and whatnot were up here because that was the correct
3: they were the Yankees farm club for four or five years in there in the early 60s late 50s early 60s
0: that's fantastic mm-hmm. um I like that. I, I, I mean, I could just sort of daydream for a minute, again, watching Mickey Mantle play well, against it, minor league teams. There's a
3: strong pocket of New York Yankees fans everywhere, obviously, but it's particularly strong in the Richmond area for that reason. It's because many kids grew up going to those games, and now they're adults, obviously. Right. Older adults. Sure. Um, Who have been following the Yankees since they were five years old in Parker Field.
0: Yeah, and it's a... Uh, it's a it's a hereditary disease as well, fandom. It's a good um, one, though. Yeah, I, I can tell good. you as a Cubs fan, I can tell you <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's definitely it's a disease. Bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there seems to be no cure. It, it it recesses when they do really horribly, and then uh, it always flares back up when they when they hit the ball a couple times. But it is a really tough life being a Cubs fan. But yeah, you know, we have uh, you know sports allegiance is uh, illogical. So. That's the way we. That's that's what we live with. But thank you very much, John O'Connor, for sitting down with me. I really appreciate your time. Um, anybody that is a sports fan in Richmond should follow John O'Connor if you're on Twitter at RTD. That's RTD for Richmond Times Dispatch. RTD John O'Connor, and let me know what you think about this uh, on Twitter, History Replays, or Facebook, History Replays Today, or um, Tumblr, or you know, comment right here on the History Replays Today. Um, dot org site, uh, But we're going to end uh, with uh, Betty Dementi's story about uh, Babe Ruth um, setting a record uh, at o- the old Tate Field that used to be on Mayo Island. And uh, that thing flooded a lot, but, um, you know, here we go. The importance of Tate Field was
2: that Babe Ruth hit his longest home run there. Now, it's not any of the textbooks. Sure. The cause. He hit, you see that the railroad line goes outside. Mm-hmm. It in. He hit the ball out of the field onto a cold gondola, and the next morning it was found in Baltimore. Nice. And try to find out to better that one. That's fantastic. I like that. <laughs> no.